for the last couple of weeks that I've preached, I've talked about this thought, does my service matter? Does what I do in church, does it matter? Does God take notice? You may uh, have a position in church or maybe not a position at all, but you serve and you just wonder, does, does, this, does this really count in God's perspective? Well, in Romans chapter 16, we have a list of names that Paul didn't forget. And I like what most scholars will say about this list is this was before email, before all these different things. Some of the people that Paul mentions, uh, the, the couple that he mentions this morning, he mentions were saved before him. So they've been walking with the Lord for 25 plus years because this, this letter was written in probably around 57 AD. And so Paul mentions them. He remembers. So how much more does God remember? Does my service matter? So there's two questions. This is going to be the invitation. Two questions. Paul mentions over and over and over again in Romans chapter 16 that these people are in Christ. Almost every other verse. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Are you in Christ? Two kinds of people in the world. Those in Christ and those that are out of Christ. Only you can answer that question. Are you in Christ? And then ask, ask yourself this question. Am I serving? Don't have to have a position. Are you serving? There's a lot of people that serve in this church. Um, I remember years ago when I went to some kind of conference, they said that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. Well, that's not the case here. We have a whole bunch of people that serve. And my question, this is not a question, this is not a sermon to bring guilt on you. It's just to bring encouragement to you. That if you serve the Lord, no matter how minuscule you might think it is, God sees it. God says this, if somebody's going out preaching, and you give that person a cup of cold water, I see it and you will not lose your reward. A cup of cold water. Because you're helping spread the gospel. Something that small, okay? So I want you to understand that maybe you won't be recognized by the whole church. Does it really matter if God knows? It doesn't matter. The question this morning is this. Part three, does my service matter? If you'll stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. We're going to see how they named people back in those days, okay? Notice what he says in verse 5. Greet my beloved. Notice that word beloved is very important. Epinetus, who is the first fruits. Look at the word first fruits. Very important. Of Achaia. And then this is who he was the first fruits of to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Now, ladies, look at me. Out of the first seven people mentioned, four are women. This church does not exist without women. It does not exist without women. If you take the service of women away from East Hillsville Baptist Church, this church wouldn't make it. So thank you. Thank you for serving. Four out of the seven that Paul mentions in this list, the first four out of seven are women. Notice what he says. Mary, who labored much for us. He doesn't have to say what she did, but he knows it. And then Andronicus and Junia. Now, some people will look at Junia and say that's a male. Some will say it's female. My point is this. I think it's a female. It's a couple. But the point number three is going to be this. Look at this couple on mission. And then notice what Paul says about them. My countrymen, so we know they were Jewish. My fellow prisoners who are among, who are of note. Look at that word. Your, your, your uh, Bible may say who are outstanding. Now, these are Paul's words. He says, of all the people here, this group, this couple is outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. 
Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your grace that saves us. Father, as Mark mentioned, all the prayer requests this morning, Lord, I want to thank you for our group that's on a marriage retreat right now. I pray that you'd bless those homes. Lord, I thought of that when I thought about this couple that we're going to talk about. How that we can have a marriage on mission. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. A husband and wife partnership to spread the gospel in Alexander County, which really reaches throughout the world. And Father, I pray that we would ask ourselves these two questions. Number one, am I in Christ? Truly am I? Have I placed my faith in the biblical Jesus? And then number two, since that time, am I serving? Father, I pray that we'd all be like Mary. That, that you could say, well, whatever they did, they worked hard at it. And Father, I pray that that would be said of me. And Father, I thank you and praise you for this opportunity we have this morning to worship together. I pray for those that are watching online or will watch online this week. And Father, we just want to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. Bless your word, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. Maybe see. I need to mention that about the live service. It will not be live this morning. So if people want to dodge the rain or I don't even know if it's raining now. But to stay at home, they can't watch it probably. They'll be able to watch it maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. So if you'll let them know, I try to put a, put a message on uh, social media about that. Think about this. Paul lists these people, 30-plus people, men, women, groups, couples. He lists them at the end of the greatest theological letter that we have in the New Testament, the book of Romans. God's masterpiece is called. And he mentions first Phoebe. He says, I just gave that letter to her and sent her 756 miles. That's how much he trusted this lady, Phoebe. What a great woman. One of the greatest women in the Bible is Phoebe. It's amazing how God said that, or Paul said that God worked through Phoebe. And then we looked at Priscilla and Aquila and how God had used them to spread the gospel. This is what God told Priscilla and Aquila. Look at me, husbands and wives. I want you to leave where you are now. Now, times are different now than they were then, okay? Leave here and go here, 700 miles. Okay, think about that. Leave here, go here, okay? When you get there, you're going to serve in the church. They, the Bible doesn't list that they complained and, and grumbled. They just left. Serve there, and then Paul says, I need you to go here again. Get on a boat, travel, and go here. And then when they got there, guess what they did? They served. A lot of people think that some of these people that were saved in this list were saved because of Priscilla and Aquila. But the thing that we need to understand, you have different people from different walks of life, different ethnic groups, but they're all in Christ. And this transcends all other differences. There's unity and diversity. Paul said this to the church at Galatia. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's what Paul says. When Paul writes that, he's saying to Jews and Gentiles, regardless of your race, if you're in Christ, we're one. For if you all were baptized in the Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. That's a tremendous saying that Paul's making. He says, you're not Jew or Gentile. Then he goes on to say, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He says, you're neither male nor female. Now, after I got saved, I was still male. What's he meaning? After you got saved, ladies, you were still female. What he said is you retain your gender. You still have a Jewish or Gentile background, but your primary identity is not in being a male or female, Jew or Gentile, black or white, Democrat or Republican. Your identity is primarily in Christ, over and over again. Christian is your primary identity. 
If God is your father and God is my father, we're brothers and sisters. You're still Jewish. You're still Gentile. You're still male. You're still female. You're still your ethnic group. But I'm known by the fact that I am in Christ. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves. Some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We're all the same spirit. Paul's already alluded to this when he wrote this book. Notice in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes this statement. He says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He's talking about how the gospel is going to bring Greeks and barbarians together. Look at the word Greeks up there. That meant upper class, well-educated, socially polished, good speech, they knew how to write good. They were influenced by philosophy from Athens. When Paul would come in to preach about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, a lot of the people laughed at him. Paul was a little intimidated to speak to them because they were so well-educated. Some were in Corinth, and they basically said this, Paul, we thought you'd be a better speaker. You don't have a good image or a background. Greeks. Paul says gospel can save the Greeks. Sometimes the hardest person to reach in America, especially Alexander County, are educated people for whatever reason. And Paul's saying they're the Greeks and they're the wise. Then he says, but the gospel is there for them. And the gospel is also for the barbarians. You have two groups that are so different. Look at the word barbarians. Uneducated, unsophisticated, lived in totally different dwellings. Dress, their dress was not polished. When they spoke, it sounded like they were saying this, bar, bar, bar. That's why they call them barbarians. Not well, they weren't great speakers. And Paul says this, whenever Jesus Christ comes, Greeks and barbarians can go to church together. It's an amazing thing. The gospel's for all of them because everyone has the same problem. Greeks, all you intellectuals, look at me. You got a sin problem that you can't solve. You may have a PhD, but unless the blood of Jesus is covering your sins, you're lost. Just as lost as a guy on death row who will not repent, you're, you're lost. And if you're a pastor in this county and you stand behind a pulpit and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you're just as lost as a barbarian. Just as lost. Just as lost. Then you come to Romans 16 and all these names represented, are representative of these groups. Converted out of paganism and idolatry out of the Roman Empire, which was, was the smartest people on the planet, but they were a moral cesspool when it comes to morality. Or some of them were saved out of the dead religion of Judaism. Think about this. Jews, not Romans, were the first to persecute the Christians. If you read the book of Acts and the Gospels, all of these have been saved and are part of the church and are now serving the church. So three groups of people this morning are three, really four people. Notice number one, notice the first convert. Notice the verse, verse five. Greet my beloved Epinetus. That word means praiseworthy. He says, who is the first fruit, or as Paul put it in the original, who is the first convert. The first convert. One scholar put it this way, there were thousands of converts to Christ in Asia, that's what Achaia is, in cities such as Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Colossae, Pergamos, and Ephesus. However, Paul remembered the very first person who told him this, I will accept this Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Epinetus probably said this, I do believe that he has risen from the dead and is the very Son of God. I accept his sacrifice alone as payment for the guilt of my sin. Look at the word first fruits in the New King James Version. That's how it's translated. 
One scholar says first fruits is related to the Jewish term that refers to that which is set apart to God before the remainder could be used. Under Jewish law, if you had wheat, okay, you would take the first fruits of your crop to the storehouse that served the, the Levites, the, the, the spiritual part of the Israel community. And what you were saying is this, the only reason this crop is grown is not just because I plowed the field and put the seed in, but I can't make it rain. Can't do it. And I'm relying on God to bring me this crop. I'm going to work. I'm going to tool. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can do. But God, it's up to you to make this harvest grow. So when it did, they would, in order to praise God and worship God, they would take the very best that they had, the first fruits, 10% of it, and they would take it to the storehouse and they'd say this, this is my act of worship. You understand what I'm saying? It's kind of like I do every week, and you do as well. I take 10% of this because God, I am where I am today because of Jesus. All right, that's the only reason. I do what I do today because of Jesus. And I'll give him 10% of that. That's what I do. I've done it since day one. I've tried to. Okay? And I've shared this with you before. My first job, I made $50 a week. Don't be jealous. I was a baller. All right? $50 a week in the furniture factory. And I would, I would get those little envelopes, and I'd put five bucks in there. And I said, Jesus, I'm making $50 a week because of you. You have health that you have now because of him. You have the skills and the ability to do what you do because of him. Okay? Paul says this. That's the term I'm using about this man. Amazing thought process behind this. Paul didn't, Paul didn't just mix words. He just didn't throw that word out there. He says, this is the first fruits, Lord. You called me in the ministry, and I led this guy to Jesus. Let me ask you a question, and you be honest with yourself, church. Who's the first fruits of your life? Think about it. Who's the first person you led to the Lord? Could you name them? Is there anybody? See, this is what I would do in church. I would say something like this, Lord, help me, help me to share my faith with somebody. And if you don't want to use me, use somebody else. But my prayers, I hope, get them into heaven. So your prayers can go where you can. You may have not sat down and just shared Jesus with somebody and led that person to the Lord, but you invited them to church. You brought them to VBS. You encouraged them to go to youth camp and maybe paid their way. You did that. You sent somebody to Bethel Colony of Mercy and said, I'll pay that 300 bucks. I'll do that. You paid money for people in this church to go overseas. Paul says, for me, it was Epinetus, who's the first fruits of Achaia. Now notice the map. This is Achaia. I want you to understand this. Notice, it's all of Greece. See Sparta? Spartans attack. That's where that was. Macedonia, notice, this is why this is so important. This is how sovereign God is in salvation. Paul didn't want to go here. He didn't want to. And Paul said, it's like I, I saw a man from Macedonia saying, come, we need you. See, Paul was going to my right, all that area. And God says, no, you're not. You're going here. And because of that, we have all these names in Romans chapter 16. Let me ask you a question. You really think you're here by accident? Really? Do you really think you just got up and said, I just think I'll just go and just endure a sermon, a guy talking? Do you really think you're by accident? You're not. Go back to the verse, Michael, if you will. Epinetus would say, no, nah, man, it's not by accident. God is so sovereign. I'm glad Paul came to Achaia. And then notice what Paul says about him. Look, greet 
And that means do this. My beloved. You know what he's saying? This is what Paul's saying. Look at that. Don't overlook it. I love this guy. Man, let me ask you a question. Is there anybody outside of your family, male, that you have brotherly love for? Solomon said this. Now, this is Solomon, the richest man to ever live. We had all kinds of problems. He said this, and it's almost like a father's giving his son advice. He said this. Boy, listen to me. A friend loves at all times. A friend. A brother is born for adversity. Now think about this. We're all, we all can be friends when tragedy happens to a friend, right? We all can. I hope you are. I've heard it over and over again in this church. Well, this happened and all these people came. I love them. They're my friends. I love them. What if you did something out of character for you? Now, I'm going to get real with you. What if you, and I know most of you, did something out of character for you, and maybe you did it for a little while. And then somebody came to you and said, you need to stop that. And then you stop it. Do you have a friend who can say, I love you anyway? A friend loves at all times. Saying, all times. That's what Paul is saying about this guy. And Paul didn't have a whole lot of people he could talk to. He says, this is my beloved. Amazing thought behind these words. Look, he says, this is my beloved, Epinetus, whose name means praiseworthy. He's the first convert in this place God sent me to, Asia. And he was converted to what? To Christ. Now listen to me well, Alexander County, and anybody that's going to watch this online after, later. You're converted to Jesus. Look, who historically was born historically died on the cross and historically rose from the dead. You're not converted to a thought or to a good idea. You're converted to Jesus. Epinetus said this, I believe that he's the Messiah the Old Testament's talking about and he really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. If your faith is not in that Jesus, then you're not in Christ. Paul says he was converted. His life was changed. He's the first fruits. There's a harvest to come, is what he's saying, of a whole bunch of people like Epinetus. A whole bunch of people. So I say that to say this. Do you have a friend? Men, let me ask you a question, especially because a lot, a lot of times it's harder for men. Who are your pallbearers? Who's going to let you in the grave? You got some guys that you love? Ladies, do you have somebody in your life? I don't know how you women can be. They just love you. They're not going to gossip about you. They're not going to bite, bite, but they love you. You know where you find those kind of people? In Christ. That's where you'll find them. I had a lot of friends when I was in school, but my best friends are in Christ. Every one of them. Every one of them. Notice the second thing. Look at this hard-working woman, and I'm going to hurry. Notice what the verse says. She's an amazing woman. Greet Mary. That's a Jewish name. She was converted out of Judaism. Which tells you this, being a Jew doesn't mean you're saved at all. No more than being American means you're saved. Okay, you have to place your faith in Jesus. She's the third woman listed out of the first five names. Christianity, ladies, elevated the life, honor, and respect of women and gave you the respect you deserve. Paul told husbands to love your wives like Christ loved the church. That wasn't happening in those days. It was not. Mary is a Jewish name. Here's another Jewish person saved out of Judaism. And this is what Paul says. Who labored much, or some other translations say, work hard. 
That word uh, labor in the Greek means to the point of exhaustion. Till you, you give your labor until you can't give any more. It means she was tired from working. Now notice, this, this, is, this is what one scholar says. The word work described by this Greek word left one so weary it was, at that, it was, at that, it was as if that person had taken a beating. This word describes not so much the actual exertion as the weariness which follows the straining of all of one's powers to the utmost. Paul gives Mary a very high compliment when he says she worked hard for you. He says you could call her Mary the toiler. She worked like a soldier for the saints. Her works, though hidden from man, although not God or Paul, although hidden from man other than Paul, are with God. And her name is recorded with honor in this book of life. Living as a Christian, he says, is not a bed of roses. It's hard work. Paul's use of the past tense clearly points to a job well done. MacArthur says this about that word. It does not stress the amount of work, but rather the effort. A person's reward from God is proportional to the excellence of their ministry and the effort they put into it. Everyone notices a hard worker. Over and over again, Paul would write an epistle and he'd say, this is written to these people and my fellow workers. They understood what he was saying. This woman was a hard worker. She was not a spectator, but a servant. It didn't say what she did. She's listed fifth in this list. So her service is vital. Notice what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 5.15. This is the greatest chapter in the world ever written about the resurrection about our faith being in an actual event that happened in recorded history. That a man, the God-man, rose from the dead. And then at the end, Paul says this, Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Look at the word steadfast. That means to be firmly situated. Don't be moved about from where you are. From serving the Lord, find a church, be steadfast, be anchored, and serve. Find your place of service and be seated there. It means also immovable. It's the same idea. Be stationary. Don't start a ministry or work and leave it. And then he says you're always abounding. That means that in your work you're to exceed the number. To do more than, than is required. To do more than what is asked of you. Because that work is, look at what it says in the work of the Lord. And then listen to me. Anybody that's ever served, listen. He says knowing, because we're mature in our thoughts, right? We've grown spiritually. That your labor, same word he uses of Mary is not in vain. And what that word vain means is this, is that the Lord is watching and is loving you. You'll be rewarded because of your work, just like Mary. Vain means not empty. God will bless you now and then for eternity. That's why you should invest your life into God's work. You don't have to preach. You don't have to teach unless God has called you to. This is Mary. Be like Mary. Women, look at me. Be like Mary. Whatever he's called you to do, do it. Isn't it amazing where we'll give all our time and effort and energy and then we look at the church and go, I don't think, I, I don't, what do you do? Ask yourself. Men, look at me. Be like Mary. Be like Mary. Now, if Paul wrote a letter to this church, would Paul say, greet my brother Jamie, who is a hard worker. Put your name in there. Greet my sister so-and-so, who is a hard worker. Because Paul tells us that your labor, not mine, yours, look at it, it's individual, yours, your labor, even though nobody else sees it, every little thing you do is not in vain. What a tremendous opportunity to invest your life into eternity in just the small things God has called you to do. The small things. 
And then finally, we look at this couple that's on mission. Notice what Paul says. He says, This great Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, which means they're fellow Jews, once again saved out of Judaism. And notice what he says. These are also my fellow prisoners. That literally means war captives or even prisoners of war. One scholar put it this way, Since the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in jail, it is impossible to know which prison term they shared with him. However, they had a special bond that evidently developed while spending time together in a cell. I, I watch old war documentaries, and they'll have men like in the Vietnam War who spent time as prisoners of war. And they'll talk about how their bond is just so close that they'll never forget the other person, ever. So they said, we spent time in jail for protecting our country. And it's not like they were in jail because they were shoplifting. They were in jail because they were telling people that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And Paul says, we're fellow prisoners. And Paul looked at it like this. We're in a spiritual war, and they put us in jail. Fellow prisoners, he says, not in prison at the time of this writing. This writing was at 57 AD, but they were in prison, prison together for the Lord, which means this, they were willing to put their neck on the line and suffered for the faith together. And then notice what Paul says, who are of note among the apostles. That word means outstanding among the apostles. Now think about this. Paul is mentioning people in the early church, and what they did in churches was they'd go to jail together. Let's go to jail for Jesus. They didn't gossip about each other. They weren't filled with jealousy about each other. They weren't casting judgment on each other. The early church, especially the people Paul mentions in his day, were being thrown in jail together. Isn't it amazing when you're on mission for God, all these small little things go away? Do you think Paul's church would say, I wonder if we're going to be in a Jennings building or a sanctuary? If we're in a Jennings building, I'm not coming. If we're in a sanctuary, I'm not coming. Bless your little heart. It touches me right here. Now they're saying, do you think, you think we're going to be put in jail for this? Don't you want those kind of people in your life? You don't go to jail? Hey, we're in Canada, Mark. They had cameras, right? You hand out this track, you might go to jail. I said, let's do it. <laughs> we're going through the mall handing out tracks. Let's go to jail. I mean, we're telling people about Jesus, right? Do, do you think they worried about what type of music you were singing so much? I understand that's important. We're blessed here, aren't we? Good music. You think they were worried about the preacher wore a tie? I know this could keep some of y'all out of heaven, but do you think they were worried about that? You know what they were saying? I wonder what kind of food they serve in jail because we're telling people about Jesus. Hey, my neighbor needs Jesus. If I go to jail for telling him, I'm going to jail. Isn't it amazing when you're on mission? Now listen to me. We're talking about a couple. Married couples, look at me. If you're on mission together, some of the things that y'all are upset about, man, it'll, it'll kind of go away. Trust me. When I, when I have marriage counseling, sometimes I'll say, I don't want to pry, but what do y'all do together, spiritually speaking? You told me everything you don't do and what you don't like. I mean, really, what do you do, spiritually speaking, together? I'll guarantee you this. It won't solve all your problems, and we all have them. Two sinners get married, right, by Jesus? They come together and live in the same house. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it crazy? And things are going to happen. But what if you're together in your own mission for Jesus? Can you imagine how that will change your marriage? Paul is saying this. They're outstanding of note. That means that's kind of like you take money and say, this is the best money I got. It's a note. And Paul's saying, well, this couple, Adronicus and Junia, 
they're outstanding among everybody else. I don't know if you've ever made an all-star team. I've been blessed to be on one or two. What they say when you make the all-star team, unless you're the coach's kid, all right, is this. You're better than everybody else on your team. That's what they're saying. That's the way it is. See, when I went to school, everybody didn't get a trophy. I mean, I'd go into kids' homes when I was a youth pastor and say, man, you must have been good. Everybody got a trophy. I said, we never won nothing. <laughs> Where'd you get those trophies? T-Sports shop? No, they give them to us. I said, are you kidding me? They give you a trophy for losing? See, back in my day, if you made the all-star team, it was a big deal. We all wore our shirts. And what that said was, I hate to say it, but you're better than everybody else on your team. What Paul is saying is this. I'm just going to be honest with you folks. At the end of this letter, I just want to mention this couple. They're outstanding. And then he says this. Basically, it's what he's saying among the apostles. Look at the word among. He's saying everybody's saying it about them. It's not like just me. Look at that word apostles. That means messenger. That means a person that's been sent out. It don't mean like Paul. Okay, called of God. When Paul would say, I'm an apostle, capital A in the Bible, he would say, if I write something in here, this is from God, it's not from me. Or if he'd write to a church, like the church at Corinth, he said, Paul, an apostle, what I'm giving you is not my opinion, it's from God. Okay, when he mentions the word apostle here, little a, it means this, they're, they're sent out by the church. East tell us will send them out. And all the people around said, they are outstanding. They're outstanding. Wouldn't that be amazing if just your peers looked at your service in the church, nobody, Paul doesn't mention hardly anything that they did. Just service. And say, man, they're outstanding. I have preached funerals in this sanctuary for people. You see those empty spots right there? You know why some of those are empty? Because they're, they're not with us. But their legacy lives on. That back, back there, I, I, I could give you a whole row of people in the last five years that are not here. But their service to this church was outstanding. I've said this. You don't replace a woman like this. And I would honor her at her funeral, whether it was two people there or 200. Because I'm trying to do what Paul's doing. Because I see it and understand. And I would say, this woman is outstanding. Among our whole church membership, don't you know, she is outstanding. And I would say this at the funeral. I don't know who's going to take her spot. I mean, we're just trying to get people to come on Wednesday nights. Hello. It's easy to sit at home and watch it on TV, right? Who's going to take their, who's going to fill those shoes? They should write a country song about that. Who's going to do it? Who is going to do it? Who's going to be the soul winners this year? Who's going to tell people about Jesus? It's so easy now. I can send a text to my friends. I, I've done that before. Hey, man, I just want you to know I love you. I want you to give your life to Jesus. If you want to talk, I'll talk with you. I will. I got a car I can drive. We have so many opportunities. You got tracks. You, got, you can invite somebody to church. The easiest way in the world to see somebody come to Christ is just say, hey, why don't you come to, come to church? But notice what Paul says. Now, I want you to say, tell you something about this couple. He says this, and then I'll close. Who were in Christ, that means they were saved before me. We know that Paul was saved around 33 A.D., Jesus rose from the dead in 30 A.D. Now listen to me. So they had to be saved between 30 A.D. and 33 A.D. in Jerusalem or Israel. Okay? And they've been serving Jesus since 57 A.D. To the point that Paul says this. After 20-some years, you're outstanding. You know who I want to be like? These people right here. I want to be like Mary. I want to have an epinetus in my life, a beloved friend who I've led to the Lord.
Don't get much closer than that, does it? What about you? I want you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. Not going to play long. Not going to give a long invitation at all. Most of you are born again. I would say the overwhelming majority of you are born again. But this question must be asked. And I'm not trying to place guilt. I'm trying to encourage you because it's never too late to start. Is this. Are you serving? Everybody, ask yourself this question. Am I serving? And I'm not talking about you got to teach a Sunday school class, this, that, or the other. Am I serving? I would dare say this. Some of you are some great singers. And you just don't come to the choir. Why not? I would. If I could sing, if I could sing I'd never preach a sermon. I'd just preach and sing the whole time. But I can't. I can't sing in the choir. I would. Some of you can. I would encourage you to serve. That's an act of worship. That's just as important as what I'm doing. Talk to Sharon. Some of you can help with JYC. Some of you have the time. A lot of you don't. You work. The way we work now is just odd hours, right? You just, you just don't have the time. Some of you do, and you can serve. We're going to have care ministry on October, I think it's October 30th. And what you're going to do is write a card to somebody. Anybody can write. Anybody can write. Or go visit somebody in a nursing home. Wouldn't that be a blessing if they saw somebody besides staff? You can serve. The question I'm going to ask you is this. Am I serving? And then the final question is this. The most important question of all is this. Are you in Christ? And if you're not, the Bible says that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. You don't got to come down here to do that. You can come talk to me. You can do that anywhere. You can talk to me after the service or whatnot. Okay? But that's the invitation. Two, qu two questions. Am I serving? And am I saved? Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for this day, Lord. I want to thank you for this book and these names. Lord, it encourages me to know that, Lord, the history, the backbone of this church for 90 plus years is people like in Romans chapter 16. People I don't even know about. But I'm here today because of them. This sanctuary has grew because people got saved and people came to church because of them. Father, I'm thinking about all that we have here. All the baptisms that we do is because somebody was serving in some ministry. Somebody brought somebody to church. Somebody brought somebody to Bible school. Lord, that's serving. Thank you. Thank you. Father, if there's anyone here today that's not in Christ, I pray that you'd save them for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in the song, this altar is open if you feel like you need to come. If not, you just pray where you are. Thank you.
this very quickly. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray something like this? Pray it to yourself. You don't have to pray long. I'm not trying to extend an invitation. This may help you today. Is say this, Jesus, today I dedicate my life to serving you, not just in this community or at my work, but in, in this church. And Father, I want you to show me where. It's a prayer I prayed back in the 90s. It's amazing what God will do if you pray something like that. And then if you're here today and you're lost, Jesus, today, today, I believe you rose from the dead, died on the cross for my sins, and today I place my faith in you. Father, once again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I want to thank you for this church. Lord, I see a lot of what people see that nobody else sees, and I'm honored to pastor here. don't want to pastor anywhere else. And I want to thank you for the many, many members of this church who do what Mary did, who do what this couple did. Lord, I want to thank you for them. Lord, they're the real heroes in the backbone of East Hazel Baptist Church. And Lord, I want to tell you that I love you today. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here Wednesday.